Wrapping up today our series in Philippians, and we've been walking for the last three or four months kind of through the book of Philippians, looking at what Paul describes as a healthy church. Uh, there are a lot of Paul's writing that are written and that are critiquing the church and telling the church what they should, shouldn't do. Uh, the church in Philippi is kind of the example church. And, and, and so he, the, the passage today wraps up, and a lot of Paul's writings wrap up with kind of like some pleasantries and some like, hey, give a high five to these people and say what's up to this guy and like those kinds of things. This time he ends very differently because he ends with a sincere thank you for how the church has blessed him. There's a sincere uh, kind of, hey, this is how you have cared for me. This is how you have loved me. This is how you have served me. This is the work that you have done, and I want to thank you for that. And, and, and in Paul's message to the church of Philippi, what we see is we see a model and an example of how we bless one another. And how we serve one another. It's kind of a picture of how within the church we become a family within the church. How we care for one another. How we bless one another. How we serve one another. How we take care of one another. And, and, and scripture is filled with that phrase, one another. In fact, in the New Testament, it's mentioned 94 times. Uh, 65% of those 94 mentions are mentioned by Paul. This idea of caring for one another, of serving one another, of blessing one another was critical to everything that Paul taught. But think about this. Paul is a church planter. He's planting churches all over the place. He starts those churches, then moves to the next church, but he's continually reminding them that the core value of the New Testament church is that they take care of one another, is that they look around at the people that are sitting next to them each week in the synagogue or in the home, wherever they were meeting, and they acknowledge their needs. They acknowledge what's going on in each other's lives, that they're a part of each other's lives, that they're caring for one another, that they're walking with one another. That, that word one another in Greek is one word. It's not two words. And the word is alelo. Say it after me. Alelo. That was, that was pretty good. Uh, 94 times, one-third of those passages of those 94 times are about unity. It's about be at peace with one another. Don't grumble at one another. Accept one another. It, it's, it's this idea that in a healthy church or an unhealthy church, in any church, and in fact any gathering of humans, there are going to be conflicts. There's going to be brokenness. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be frustration. There's going to be disagreements. And, and Paul says this is what we do in those moments of conflict and, and those moments of frustration. We care for one another. There's unity. A third of those passages are about love. It's just love one another. Like just very simply, when, when you disagree, when you need to forgive, when hurt happens, when struggles go on, love one another. Keep loving one another. Pursue love. Care for each other. Love one another. 15% of those passages are about humility. It's serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Wash one another's feet. Uh, four of those passages are about greeting one another with a kiss, which we're not going to do. 
We're not going to do an unforeseen kiss or a sloppy wet kiss for those of you who know worship songs. Neither of those are going to take place here. Uh, but there's this whole idea of one another. Uh, and, and, and I feel like right now we're in a time of history where everybody loves to tell of their stories of church hurt. And the stories of where we got one another wrong, right? And I think that's important. I think we have to name those things. I think we have to acknowledge that when a group of people are going to stay with one another for an extended period of time, there is going to be hurt, right? There are going to be disagreements. There are going to be frustrations. There are going to be hurt feelings. There are going to be things that we wish we had said or things we wish we hadn't said or things we wish we had done or things we wish we hadn't done. And, and it's good for us to talk about how the church needs to be a place where we mitigate that hurt and we love one another and care for one another and bless one another. But I also think it's important for us to tell stories of how the church blesses us. I think it's important for us to think about not just the negative side of living in community together and with one another, but to name the positive side of living in community with one another. I am, I'm, I'm by nature a negative person. Anybody with me? By nature, like, you, you just kind of see all the things that are going wrong. You see all the things that could go wrong. You see all the problems. You see all the possibilities. You, you kind of look at a situation. You're like, yeah, that's pretty good, but this could go really bad if this happens or this happens or this happens. I, I am always, like, thinking through the worst-case scenarios. It's a weakness, and it's also a strength for me. I don't know if any of you are like that. So it's easy for me sometimes to focus on the wrong things. It's easy for me to turn my attention towards all the hurt and all the pain and all the brokenness because I've experienced all of that in the church too, believe it or not. And it's easy to focus on all of those things rather than focusing on the ways in which we've been cared for. And I just want to say like, I am so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful for the way this church has cared for me. I'm so grateful for the way this church has cared for my family. I'm so grateful for the way this church loves my children. I'm so grateful for all of the ways in which the church has loved me, blessed me, served me, cared for me. Uh, I, I, we, we've had meals dropped off at our home, like extravagant meals. I'm like, what in the world? This is enough food to feed a small village. Like, people drop off things. Like, it's so beautiful. We've had, I, I, I get little notes or, or texts or emails emails or encouragement all the time, and I'm so grateful for that. I, I, I get words of encouragement and words of, of, of prophetic nature of just calling out the best in me and in our community. Uh, all of these things, there, there's people that give their time for me and, and meet with me and give wisdom to me and, and, and talk to me on the phone and help me navigate things. Like I, I'm just so grateful for the ways in which I've been blessed by the church, and if you've been a part of this church or a church for any extended period of time, here is my guess. You have been hurt by some, but you've also been blessed by some. That there are times when things have not gone the way that you wanted to, or things have been difficult and challenging, but there's also these moments that are beautiful, where the church gets it right, and where you say, oh wow, this is how it's supposed to be. And my question today is, what if we always lived like it's supposed to be? 
What if all of us made it our challenge? What if all of us made it our priority to care for one another, love one another, serve one another, bless one another? We could go through all 94 one another's, but what if we took seriously the one another passages and said, I want to do this. This is what we want to train our kids to do, isn't it? Can I just say that if you want to teach your kids to be caring, to be kind, to be gentle, to be loving, if you want your kids to inhabit the fruits of the Spirit, the thing that they need most is a model to follow. They need an example of what that really looks like. I, I was reading an article this week from the Huffington Post about how to help your kids care for others. Right? Like, how do you teach your kids to care? Here's what it said. It says, one, talk about your feelings. Name your emotions. When things are hard, sometimes let your kids in on that. Help them to know that things are hard. When things are difficult, let them know. Talk about feelings. Say, this made me angry. This made me frustrated. This made me irritated. But I'm choosing to behave this way even though I feel this way. Talk about your feelings. And talk about how our feelings are great indicators, but they're not always the best guides. Right? So they indicate something that's going on in our heart, but they don't always guide us to the right places. Jesus is our guide. Our feelings are our indicators. Use media to your advantage when you're watching things with your kids. I'm just amazed at the, the lack of quality content for children these days, right? Like it is hard to find wholesome, good, honest, caring, anything, let alone something that's done well, right? There's a few of those that are done really, really poorly. It's hard to find what those things are and where we find those things and where we track those things down. And so we're constantly wanting to find those things and find those places. So use media to your advantage. When you're watching things with your kids, help them navigate like, hey, you see how those people are treating one another. That's not how we're going to act. You see what's going on there. You see how those kids are acting with one another. We're not going to act that way. Um, set an example. Be the model. Acknowledge acts of kindness that you see from your kids. Expose them to differences. Own your own mistakes. And make kindness a family activity. Uh, when I was a young dad and my kids were younger, one of the things that we did, and I would just encourage everybody in the church that this is a great activity when your kids are young. One of the things that we would do is we, we would give our tithe to the church. And on top of that tithe, we took a little bit of dollars, and it wasn't an enormous amount. It was a couple hundred dollars a month. We had a couple hundred dollars a month that we would set aside every month. And what we told our kids is, we've got a couple hundred dollars in a little pot, a war chest. We, we, we've, got a, we've got these dollars, and we're looking to bless and serve and care for somebody. Who should we give it to? And we invited our children to be on the lookout for how we could bless, serve, and care one another. And they were much better at it than Sarah and I were. They were really good at seeing like this person needs something. This person at school needs this. This friend of ours needs this. this uh, the, and, and it was awesome to help them navigate it because sometimes they would be like, we should give it to my friend because why? Well, because he's awesome. And we're like, well, he, he might be awesome, but he doesn't really need something right now. Like, we're looking to figure out who is in need, and how do we serve them, and how do we bless them. And so it opened up all of these amazing conversations for us to navigate all these things. Philippians chapter 4 ends 
with a clear picture of how we care for one another. And I want to give us five keys and five questions from the text. So Philippians 4 verse 10 says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. This is an ongoing theme in Philippians. You notice this? You notice how many times he says, I rejoice. He starts his sentences with, I rejoice in the Lord, right? He, he, it's like a setup phrase. Like, I'm going to tell you something, but before I tell you that, I want you to know, I love to worship God. He's awesome. I'm, I'm thankful for him. I'm grateful for him. I'm rejoicing. I'm happy. I'm full of joy for the ways in which God is acting. There's a posture there of Paul. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, you have, listen to this phrase, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. This is such good path. This is such a great passage. I love this passage. Here's the first point. The first thing that we need to do when we're thinking about caring for one another, loving one another, serving one another, is we show concern, but we look for opportunity. You see that? There is a difference between showing concern and looking for an opportunity. And sometimes the church is really good at showing concern, right? Somebody comes to you and says, I've had a rough week. I've had a challenging whatever. I've had a difficult, uh, and, and we're really good at, at in the moment. Oh, I'm so sorry that that's happened. We can bless those people with our words. We can say a prayer for them in the moment. We can say, oh, I've been there too. I've experienced those things too. But are we actually not just showing concern? Are we looking for an opportunity to bless? What if every single Sunday as we walked into church together, we were not just here to sing the songs that we liked, to listen to a message, to get a nice cup of coffee and to be fed, but we were looking for an opportunity to bless somebody else in the congregation? What if every single day when we went to work and we showed up in our office, we were not just trying to clock in and clock out and get through the day. What if we were actively looking to bless and serve and care for one another? High school kids, what if every day at school you were looking for the opportunity to bless and serve and care for somebody and you were not just there to show concern, but you had a bias towards redemptive action? What if our bias was always towards redemption? What if our bias was always towards grace? What if our bias was always towards, I'm going to choose to bless. I'm going to choose to believe the best. I'm going to choose to hope. I'm going to choose to care. I'm going to choose to sacrifice. I'm going to choose to do these things. And I love the phrase that Paul used here. He says, you revived your concern for me. Which doesn't mean, and he, he, he clarifies it, you were indeed concerned, but you didn't have an opportunity, right? So, so I know you were concerned about me. I know you loved me. I know you cared for me. But there be, when the time came that there was an opportunity to serve, the church in Philippi stepped in and served. That's the way it should work for all of us. Right? The reality is, if you go to this church for a year, there's going to be a moment in that year where you're going to need someone to step in and to serve you. There's going to be not just a normal week where I just need a prayer and a concern. I actually need somebody to step in the gap. I need somebody to revive their concern. I need somebody to walk in and, and serve and bless. And so God is inviting us to do both. He's inviting us to be concerned for one another. 
but he's also inviting us to find the opportunities to step in. And so here's the first question I want to ask you this morning is, who is Jesus asking you to revive your concern for? Who in your life, if you said, Holy Spirit of God, right now, give me a name. What's the name that the Spirit of God lays on your heart of somebody that you should have concern for? Of somebody that maybe you shouldn't just have concern for, but maybe somebody who you have the opportunity to bless, serve, care for, take care of, do whatever God is asking. Verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We love to take that verse 13 and like cross-stitch it on things in the wall. Like grandma made a quilt with that on it. Like every athlete loves to, that's the, that's the, that's the verse, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quarterback with the strength of God today. I'm going to softball. What, I don't know what you do in softball. I'm going to hit the ball. I'm going to, I'm trying to use sports examples. I don't know. You guys get enough sports examples from me, right? We, we love to use the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we don't see the, the, the stuff that comes before that. Which is not like this prosperity thing of like, because I know Jesus, I'm going to throw four touchdowns. It's I'm, I've learned to be content, whether I'm on the mountaintop or whether I'm on the valley, whether I'm in the desert or whether I'm uh, on, the, on the top of the hill. Uh, and, and this is the second point, is that we learn to be content in every situation. Uh, like I said earlier, I, I, I'm typically a negative person, which can lead to discontentment. Right? When you see everything as negative or frustrating, you, you can see these things. But Paul says, this is a learned skill. Did you hear what he says? He says, I, I have learned the secret. We can learn to be content, regardless of our circumstances. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of the external things that are happening in our life, we can learn to have a mindset that says, I am going to learn the secret. And this is all about how we see the world. It's about reframing the problems that come, in, come at us. The Stoics used to use this phrase. They would say this, what stands in the way becomes the way. Isn't that a great philosophy? Like what, that thing that feels like it's insurmountable, that thing that feels like it's the challenge that's going to bring me down, that thing that feels like the thing that I can't get past or I can't get through, what stands in the way actually becomes the way when I look at it from a different perspective. When I first started my business, I had a business coach, and the business coach told me this over and over again, there is no failing and I was like, well, we're definitely failing, right? There's a lot of things we're failing at. I would make sales calls, and I was early on in making sales calls, and I was terrible at them. So I would, I would try and make a sales call. It would be awkward. People would say no, and I would be like, that is a complete failure. And my business coach would say this, you're not failing, you're learning. There is no failing. You're either selling or you're learning. So you're either getting better and improving at this, or you're just doing it, and it's happening. Like there, it's all about the mindset. It's all about what, how you think about it. And Paul says there is a secret to being content. 
There is a secret to living in a woe is me, this happened again, this thing goes on, this thing happened, this thing, of course my car broke down, of course we had a flat tire, of course this happened on this week at this time. Does anybody get into those of courses in their own mind and in their own head? This stuff always happens to me. Why is this happening to me? What's going on? That negativity, that discontentment allows us to say that why over and over and over again. But what if we looked at things and said, this isn't happening to me, it's happening for me. What if my faith was so big that I trusted God in those moments where things were difficult and challenging and I redirected it and said, all right, in this moment, God is teaching. In this moment, God is shaping In this moment, God is working, and I'm trusting that he is always present and at work, that he's always moving and working, that God doesn't just show up on the mountaintop and in the good times. God shows up in the desert. He shows up in the hurt. He shows up in the brokenness, and in those moments, he's teaching and he's shaping us. It's it's, it's not about the moments. It's about the meaning that we take from the moments that matters, because moments are going to happen to all of us. You guys have seven days in front of you until we gather again next week. I can promise you this. There's going to be great moments in those seven days. There's going to be something that you're going to be like, oh, this is great. This is awesome. It's not going to be the Braves, but it'll be something, right? (laughs) It'll be something. You guys will be like, this is great. This is amazing things are happening. This is good. And there's going to be moments in those seven days that you're going to say, this is difficult. This is hard. This is frustrating. The, the question sometimes is, is not about what's happening to us. It's about the meaning that we take from those moments. If we really trust that God is our provider, protector, that he's with us, that he loves us like his children, that he's a good father who wants to give us good gifts, then when bad things happen, we trust that he's still a good father. And we say to him, all right, Lord, I trust that you're good. I trust that you're working. Because I think sometimes we just ask the wrong questions. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be a perfect and complete. Lacking in what? Nothing. This is how we, this is how we grow. This is how we adapt. This is how we become the people. Right? Things happen in tension. Right? And and tension is where things grow. Iron, it it expands in the fire, right? These are the things that begin to happen that help us. And so, so contentment and contentment matters in the way that we care for one another. And here's why discontent people don't look to serve, discontent people care about themselves, discontent people are looking for a way to complain. Discontent people are saying, it's all about me and everything that happens in this room, in this place, in my workplace, in my family, in my home is about me. It's about how am I served? How am I blessed? How am I cared? It's like they're holding out their hands saying, everybody do the one another stuff for me. But they're not looking to do that for anybody else. If we are content with all that we have, if we've learned the secret of contentment, as Paul said, then we can bless and we can serve and we can care and we can give. Our gratitude is directly proportional to our generosity. People who know they are blessed by the Father are able to bless others. And that blessing does not come because they have a perfect life. Because there's not adversity in their life. 
It comes because they've learned the secret of contentment. So here's the second question. Where have you allowed this contentment to enter into your life? And what does it look like for you to surrender and trust God? Where have you allowed this contentment to enter into your life? And what does it look like to trust God? Verse 14. This is a real simple one. Yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. That's it. Number three. We share in each other's troubles. Isn't that a great phrase? Share in my troubles. It's so simple, but it's so complex. Sharing uh, is, is obviously an issue that everybody with young children deals with. Right? If you have a toddler, one of the greatest issues in your life is sharing. We were at a friend's house the other night, and they had two little ones, and uh, their youngest had just started crawling. Like that night, for the first time, had just started crawling. And he instantly crawled to the second youngest toys and started grabbing. And there was a big fight. Like it was, the the top went off of it right away. And the question that they were saying, they were like, oh no, this is going to be a mess. Right? Sharing is this complex thing that happens all the time when you're with little ones. But sharing matters to all of us. We share our lives together. We share our time together. We share our resources with one another. First Thessalonians 2.8 says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very own selves because you had become dear to us. This is the greatest form of hospitality that we can give is when we make room for someone else. It's when we make space for somebody else and say, I don't just want to share with you the gospel, although the gospel matters, right? I want to share with you my life. I want to invite you in. I want you to be a friend. I want to be close. I want to be connected. I want all of these things. And I know that some of you are out there and you're like, I've got 99 problems and I don't need another one. I I don't need to pile on. I don't need to ask for more problems. I don't need to share in other people's problems. I've got enough concerns on my own. I've got enough things going on. I've got enough hurt. I've got enough brokenness. But sharing literally means carrying the weight for someone else. And there are moments for all of us when the weight of the world is too heavy to navigate on your own. Where it feels like the weight of the world is crashing down on you. And God put us in community so that there would be others in the community who would step up and say, let me share in that problem. Let me literally take some of the weight of this and carry it for you. Have you ever had someone do that for you? When you feel like there's a problem that you can't solve. When you feel like there's a relationship that you can't navigate. When it feels like there's a difficulty that you can't overcome. And someone steps in and says, let me help you with this. Let me take a part of this. Let me make that phone call. Let me carry this part of the problem. Let me navigate this space for you. That is an immense blessing. When you're able to shed the weight of something and feels like you're not in it alone. It feels like there's somebody else there to navigate it with you. Sometimes we don't even need somebody to carry it. We just need somebody to be with us in it. Are you with me? 
Like sometimes it's just the weight of the world is crashing down and I feel so alone in the middle of it and I just need somebody to say, you're not alone. I'm here with you. I'm standing beside you. I'm going to text you every day. I'm going to call you and and give you encouragement. I'm going to bless you by giving you a word of scripture. I'm going to let you know that you're not alone. This is what it means to share in our troubles. And there are moments when we need someone to share in our problems. There's moments when we feel alone and we need somebody to stand beside us. When we need somebody to share the weight of what's going on in us. And if we love one another, then we're constantly looking for how do we relieve the weight from somebody else. Here's the challenge of that. When we relieve the weight from somebody else, we actually put it on ourselves. And there are some of us who will put on everybody's weight and carry too much weight. And at that point, you've got to set some boundaries. And you've got to say, there is only so much weight that I can take. There's only so much weight that I can hold. There's only so much weight that I can navigate. And so there has to be wisdom in this of taking on some weight. But you cannot take on everyone's weight. You hear that? Right? You cannot hold everybody. Like this is, when you think about family systems theory, in family systems theory, there is this idea that when there is tension and brokenness in a family, what happens oftentimes is one person or one actor in the family absorbs all the pain in the family, absorbs all the brokenness, carries all the weight, and then what eventually happens is that person explodes. So we have to be wise about sharing in one another. You have to know yourself in order to lead yourself. And so there are some of you who your tendency is to absorb everybody's pain. And you need to learn to share in the troubles and not take on everything. There are some of you and your temptation is not to share in anybody's trouble. And we need you to share in some troubles. Right? There are some of you that are carrying an enormous weight right now, and there are some of you who are carrying no weight. This is why we are the body of Christ. Right? There is weight that is to be distributed amongst the body, and when in a healthy body, everybody is picking up some weight to make things happen. That's what healthy churches do. That's what healthy people do. That's what healthy families do. And so who is someone in your life right now that is carrying too much weight, and how could you share in their troubles? Who's somebody you know right now? Ask the Holy Spirit for a name. Who is somebody right now that you know is just carrying too much weight? And how do you help share in those troubles? Verse 15. And you, Philippians, yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. So here's what we learn here. Philippi is the first church that believed in Paul. They're the first church that trusted him. They're the first church that entered into partnership with him. And and he says, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Love this passage. This is so good. Number four, we give generously and we give sacrificially to fruitful people and ministries. We look for how we follow the fruit. Paul, one of Paul's major themes of the New Testament is this idea, you follow the fruit. When there is kingdom fruit somewhere, you stay there, you follow it, you keep working, you keep going. That's the thing that you lean into. And so what we need to do 
is we need to be the first people who give generously and sacrificially to fruitful people and fruitful ministries. There was, there was one church that said, Paul, we believe in you before anybody else did. There was one church that saw something in Paul before he had written the whole New Testament. Before he had planted all the churches, right? This is Paul coming out probably as a persecutor of Christians. He has a reputation of not being a good guy. And there was one church that said, I don't know, I think there's some fruit here. I think this guy is worth investing in. I think this person is worth caring for. I think this person is worth even financially giving towards because I think God's up to something here. And the question is, do we do the same? Will we be the first givers? Because what I see with nonprofits often is that somebody has a good idea. Somebody has a good vision. Somebody's starting their thing. And no one wants to support it early on until there's what? Proof of concept. I want to see a proof of concept. Paul, could you write us Philippians and Colossians and then maybe we'll back you up. Right? I bet if Paul did a fundraising category right now, he would do great. Right? All the churches in America, all the churches all over the place would support Paul. He's a good missionary. He did some good things. He said some smart things. He wrote the whole book of the, like all, almost the whole New Testament. Let's back him up. But there was one church that before any of that was done said, we believe in you. We trusted you. This is why our ministry, the next generation matters so much. Our kids need somebody to look at them and say, I see this in you. I believe in you. We need to call out the things in the next generation before they even see it themselves. People called me out as a preacher and as a pastor long before I ever had an imagination for that to happen in my own life. People said, I see this in you. I believe in you. I trust you. And, and, and generously gave wisdom and words and and things to help make that happen. Galatians 5, through 23 says, this is what's fruitful. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, thankfulness, and self-control. And oftentimes what we want in the church is we only want fruit that grows in our garden. We only want fruit that actually benefits us. Rather than looking around and saying, oh, wait a minute, this is good fruit even though it doesn't benefit me in any way. I, I think sometimes our funding strategies in the church are completely wrong. Because what we want to fund is the thing that has scaled. I think in the church we're in love with scale more than we're in love with faithfulness. We want to invest in the thing that's winning. Are you with me? We want to invest in the thing that's got returns. Rather than investing in the thing that is faithful and is hard. There are soil that there are missionaries that are working in. Benton just named a few of our missionaries who have fled their homes. That are working in incredibly difficult spaces in Israel and in Palestine. Who, who, who we want to support regardless of what their numbers are. Or regardless of what their numbers of how many people they baptize or whatever they're doing. There is fruit that is difficult. There is soil that is hard. And we need to learn to invest in those spaces. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell has a really amazing podcast called Revisionist History. Anybody listen to this? Just me. Okay, we got well, Jeff McCoy. All right, Jeff, you and I can talk about it later. Uh, it's a great podcast. If you haven't read Malcolm Gladwell's stuff, he's brilliant, um, amazing writer, written a lot of great books. Podcast is incredible. And one of the episodes was about college endowments. 
And he told the story about how there was one donor, and that donor had a $10 million uh, donation that he wanted to give to a college or to a university. And so he started going to all of these big universities. I won't name the big universities with big endowments, but you can guess probably uh, who they are and, and what they do. And he said, if I give you 10 million, which 10 million sounds like a, a, a very large amount of money to me. If anybody has 10 million laying around that they would like to give to Grace Marietta, we will gladly take it, right? Uh, just throwing that out there. Right? It seems like an enormous gift. But for some of these schools, it was nothing. And he was like, I want to know very tangibly what you're going to do with $10 million. And some of them were like, well, we'll probably build a fountain. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll like build, a, build a park and we'll put some bricks down with your name on it. We'll build a building and put your name on it. Like those were the kinds of things that he was talking about. And he met with this tiny little school. Uh, I won't name the school, but it was a school down south that didn't have a lot of resources, that didn't have a lot of money, that probably was going to go under in two or three years if there wasn't a generous donor that supported. And he said, what would happen if I gave you $10 million? And they said, it would change everything. It would change everything. And so he gave the money to that tiny school. Ten years later, that tiny school is multiplying, growing, fruitful, amazing things that are beginning to happen. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, God is going to supply our needs. Here's what we need to do. We need to look at the fruit of other people's lives. And let's be the first givers. Let's be the ones that believe before no one else believes. Let's be the ones that step in right away. Verse 18 says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he does his greetings. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Give a what's up nod to the brothers. Greet the saints, especially those in Caesar's household. Grace, the Lord, Spirit, all those things, right? But here's what he's saying at the end. He's saying the last thing of a generous community, the last thing for a community that cares for one another is that we trust that God will supply all of our needs. There is not a mentality of scarcity. There is a mentality of abundance with the saints of God, which means we don't believe that when I give, I lose. We believe that when I give, I get. We believe that God is the supplier and that he is enough. And so I can give generously because I trust that God created a world of great abundance. And if we share, there is enough for all of us. This is the story of all of scripture. God spoke into existence. Well, think about this. God has so much power. He is so mysterious. He is so big. He is so good that he just says the word and abundance happens. He says light and light shows up. He says earth, mountains, ocean, waters, everything just happens. This is the God of abundance who speaks and abundance flows. He provides for us. We walked in the garden with him. We had all of our needs supplied. We had everything that we needed. We trusted in his abundance. But then there was this thought in our mind of, wait a minute, what if there's some scarcity? What if God's holding out on us? What if there's not enough? 
And all of a sudden, scarcity, or what the Bible calls sin, stepped into the world. And rather than sharing in the abundance that God had given us, we start hoarding, right? Rather than taking today's manna and receiving the bread that we have for today, we want to hoard the manna. And we want to take today's bread and tomorrow's bread and the bread after that. And we want next week's bread. And we want to build bigger barns so we can have storage units to store our bread. And the whole narrative of Scripture says this is not the way. And Jesus comes to say there is a God that is a God of abundance. There is a God who has more salvation and forgiveness and grace and kindness and resources and power than you could ever imagine. Watch my life and see what happens. There should have been an amen there. Thank you. Dante, come on, man. Jesus invites all of us to give in the same way. He's inviting all of us to step into that space and trust that when we give generously, there's enough. If we sacrifice, there's enough. That when we serve one another, there is enough. God will supply how many of our needs? All All of our needs. So when we give, we get more. When we obey, there's more grace. When we follow, we get direction. When we serve, we find time. When we blessed, when we bless, we, we end up being blessed ourselves. We trust in this abundance because we believe that there is always more in God than we could ever imagine. He will supply all of our needs. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's a lot of alls and everys there. There is not some speculation of maybe this will happen. Maybe this will, maybe I'll show up. Maybe if you do this, possibly. There are alls and everys. In that passage. And this passage is only used to talk about tithing in the church, which I am a big fan of, by the way. (laughs) But that is not what this passage is talking about. It's talking about one another, it's talking about how we should give to one another, how we should care for one another, and not do that reluctantly or under compulsion, but we walk into spaces saying, How do I bless? How do I serve? How do I care? So we're going to move to a time of communion. And, and the last question I, I just want to ask you is, what specifically is God asking you to do today? Out of the five points that I named for you, out of the five, maybe some names came to your mind of like, I need to help them carry the weight. Maybe there's some way that you need to give generously to someone or something. Maybe there is a way that you need to serve or step into. I don't know what that is, but here's what I know. I trust that the Holy Spirit is at work, and I trust that He does work that I can't do. I come, and I bring the Word, and I try and interpret it, but the Holy Spirit then sweeps over this room and convicts hearts. And so I've been praying that the Lord would sweep over this room and convict each of us. To how do we love one another? Maybe it's somebody in this room. And if it is, that's great. Bless them. Serve them. Care for one another. This should be the most loving place, most caring place, most blessed place on the, in, uh, on the planet. Or maybe it's somebody outside. And maybe it's somebody else that you need to bless or care for.
Um, but we're going to go into a time of communion. And as you take the bread and as you take the juice, I just want you to remember of the endless grace of Jesus. I want you to remember that there was no length that Jesus decided to go to in order to bless. He gave everything. And he invited us to do the same. He said, make your lives a living sacrifice. Lay down everything. We had a, a, a worship night this week. How many of you came out for the worship night? Uh, great. It was sons and daughters worship night. So there were kids all over the place dancing and worshiping. And there were parents worshiping with it. I, I had another meeting, but I got a video of it. And it just made me so happy to see generational worship happening together. To see the church being the church. To see our kids growing up learning to worship and to love and to pray and doing it with mom and dad. And during that time, we did a prayer time, and we just had people write down uh, their prayer requests on little pieces of paper, and we've got a bunch of them sitting right up here up front. And then what we did was we took all of those prayer requests, and we tied them together into this little ribbon, which feels like a kid's craft thing, right? But this is what the church is supposed to be, is that when I have a need, when I have a care, when I'm hurting, when I'm broken, when I feel alone, when I can't navigate it by myself, I am linked with someone. There's a lot of people that say to me, like, Ben, be honest. Like, do we really need to go to church? Like, I can, get, I can watch a sermon on the internet. I can learn about James from wherever. I can figure that out. But you can't do this online. You can't do this unless you're here. You can't do this unless you're linked. You can't do this unless you put yourself out there. And so today, as we wrap up, I'm going to invite you to come and just write down a prayer request or a need, whatever that thing is for you. And we're going to link them together. You don't have to do that. So those of you who are not crafty, you don't have to do anything. Just write it down and leave it at the altar is all I need you to do. And we're going to link those together as a symbol that you're not alone. Whatever that thing is that you're praying for, there is a group of saints that are committed to the same thing. Whatever that thing is you're hoping for, there's a group of people that are hoping with you. You are not alone. You are linked, not just to the Father in heaven, but to a community of people who love you and serve you. I said the very first week that I became your pastor that I want us to be known by our love. And this is how it happens. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would teach us to love one another. I pray that you would teach us to serve one another. I pray that you would teach us to bless one another. I pray that we would become a people who carry the weight for one another. And I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, because when we love one another, we look like you. And so teach us to give sacrificially. Teach us to bless beyond measure. Teach us to care and be selfless. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,